welcome <laughs> welcome to shit happens a live podcasting event um alec i know we're i'm co-hosting this with you but i really don't know what exactly is a live podcasting event sure sure cameron so a live co- podcasting event is basically where people come up onto the stage and share their stories live and then in the background we'll also have uh different things that you normally hear in a podcast such as background music uh sound effects and also interviews so basically, you're going to be seeing and hearing a podcast being made live right in front of your eyes and ears. So this year, the theme of our event um, is Shit Happens. Um, I hope you all have probably a story about Shit Happens. And so we hope that you'll relate to some of these stories. Maybe some of these will be experiences that you've never heard of. Um, you're going to hear some funny stories, some serious stories from crazy bus accident. We have crazy bus accidents and incidents um, to stories of self-care to a uh, stories of a first kiss. Um, so we hope you enjoy, um, and thank you for coming. So I'm not the first presenter, um, but the first storyteller tonight is Ishan Kumar. He's a first year from London. His story is Cookie Kiss on My Lips. So as, uh, as was mentioned, this is the story of my first kiss. <laughs> Shit happens. <laughs> um, one thing I throw out there is that I have a dairy and nut allergy, um, just a pretty severe one, so I like to throw that out there sometimes. Um, so in the summer before Duke, I, had, I was working, but I had a week off between my two jobs. And, uh, you know, it kind of just so happened that uh, my parents were away for this week that I had off between my two jobs. So that was uh, wonderful. And uh, so one of my friends, who we're gonna call Maria for the purposes of this podcast, uh, said she wanted to see me before I went to Duke because I'm going away, you know? Um, So naturally I invited her to stay the night at home (laughs) when my parents were away. Very innocently, might I add. Um, One of my other friends from high school showed up like out of the blue, which was, yeah. <laughs> um, and but it was it was chill. Like we cooked, we watched Fresh Prince, we like kicked it. Like it was it was a really really chill evening. Um, my friend goes to bed. My high school friend goes to bed because um, he has an interview or some such thing. I don't remember. And um, but like Marie Maria seemed off. <laughs> Maria, (laughs) she seemed off like all night. So after my friend from high school goes to bed, I um I go into her room and I ask her, "Are you you okay? Like, what's up?" She's she's like says, "Oh, I'm tired. Like, don't worry about me." Um, and we're chatting, and then she and then she says, "Hey, why don't you turn off the lights?" And I was like. Sure, yeah, <laughs> that sounds good. Um, so then we're just sitting in the darkness, like chatting and shit. And um, then she goes like, oh, your room is so far away. You should just sleep here, get under the covers. And then I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so we're, we're cuddling in the dark. Um, she turns to face me and she says, hey, you know, you're really cute. 
And I, not thinking ever anything of this, I go, okay. Um, and then she kisses me. Pff, fireworks. Um, so this continues for like a little while. Um, and then at like 6 a.m. at this point, she falls asleep. Great. Um, I wasn't sleepy at this point, so I get up, I make myself a bowl of cereal, um, and I just like piss about. My friend from high school wakes up, he leaves, um, and then I think, okay, I'm gonna go do some errands. Uh, post errands, I come back, um, and we sort of just pick up where we left off. Um, midway through, she she makes a joke saying, uh, hey, <laughs> I ate this cookie earlier with pecans in it. I hope it doesn't kill you. <laughs> and I think, nah, let's keep going. Um, so she leaves quite shortly after this comment. And then uh, shortly after she leaves, I start to feel a strange tingling in my throat, and <laughs> it's getting harder to breathe. So, um, and I think back to her comment, hey, I ate a cookie earlier. I hope it doesn't kill you. Shit. This is emergency services. How can we help? Hi, I um, think I'm having an allergy attack. What do you feel? Like, like I'm having a fucking allergy attack. <laughs> so five, minute, five minutes later, the paramedic arrives. He comes in and introduces himself. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm John. Can you tell me what's happened here? At this point, I look sheepish as fuck. So he says to me, Look, mate, I'm a paramedic. People have answered the door to me naked and all sorts. I don't think you can phase me. Looking back on the moment, it seemed somewhat like a challenge accepted sort of thing. So I'm like, all right, Johnny boy, here's the thing. I had a friend over. She ate a cookie. I kissed her. And I think I'm going into anaphylactic shock. <laughs> and so he looks at me. He looks directly at me and very seriously asks me. Are you okay? I reply with a tentative, right now I am, because I'm having anaphylactic shock. Um, and then John, the unfazable paramedic, bursts out into laughter. This kid just starts crying in front of me. Then he begins doing his job and saving my life. Um, and shortly after, two more paramedics show up. This actually very cute Australian girl and this old German guy. And when they arrive, they both ask, John, can I get a history of the patient? Naturally. And John turns to me, and he just says, Bro, can I? I, of course, say yes. He recounts my tale to the two pa new paramedics. And then they both, individually, afterwards, turn to me, say, Are you okay? To which, to both of them, I reply, Yes, I am. Uh, they look at each other, and then they both also burst out laughing. So eventually, after they get over their shits and giggles, they take me to the hospital, I end up waiting for a while. Um, eventually, a nurse decides to call me over, and she asks me, "So, um, what brought you in to the uh, brought you in here today?" Looking, I look very sheepish again, and right before I answer, she stops me and she says, "Oh, sweetie, it's okay. I know why you're here." <laughs> All of accident and emergency knows why you're here <laughs> and that's the story of my first kiss <laughs> thank you
Give me one more round of applause for you, Sean. Thank you. Moving on from the love, we're going to something completely different. Um, our next story is by Omalola Sanusi, and the title of her story is Thanks, Chipotle. Hi, I'm Omo. Okay, there's me. All right, so it's the summer of my sophomore year, and you know, like Cardi B said, your girl's trying to get this money. <laughs> I babysat all throughout high school, but I needed something a little more like nine to five, a little more stable. I'm 16 now. Um, so a little context, I am from Germantown, Maryland, which is the best town in the world, if you didn't know. We're statistically the most diverse town in the United States. So coming to Duke was a disappointment. <laughs> but yeah, Germantown is really close. <laughs> Germantown is really close, about 45 minutes away from DC, which means we have an active running metro system. Being 16 years old and an immigrant, which for you like non-immigrants means my parents basically said, figure this shit out, meant I had to figure out how to get a job and how I could get there. Also, a little note, Duke students, like, do you guys not know how to use a bus? You don't pack up in the front, you move back. Like, it's the most frustra frustrating thing in the world, but learn to use the metro system. It's really useful in like the real world outside of Duke. <laughs> anyway, so I, I knew I had the bus transportation. I just needed a job. So I did a little bit of this. And discovered. <laughs> I guess I was searching for a while. Um, <laughs> and discovered that a Chipotle about four miles away was hiring. Also, this was before the like ubiquitous acquisition of Uber, so four miles was actually really far away. Um, I was like, dope, sweet. I applied a few days later, you know, I got an email. I was like, great, this is the best day in the world. Everything was perfect, the sun was shining, I started summer vacation, and I had a job interview. So the interview was at 11 a.m. And knowing my bus routes, I only needed to walk 20 minutes to the transit station and take one bus, the 74, to Ketlands. The day of, I got up nice and early, packed myself a little backpack with a book to read, all studious and shit, and put exactly $5 in my card. So like, this is important to remember. It costs exactly $1.70 for a one-way trip to the bus. Remember that. So I get to the transit station, I get on the bus, And I'm at the Kentlands early. It's only 10.30. I sit outside Chipotle, again, you know, all studious and shit, do some reading, and bask in the sun. A couple minutes later, I go in for my interview, which was, for Chipotle, high-key kind of strange. It was a group interview. What is a group interview? Why a group interview? Like, we're not even evaluated for our group dynamics. They just asked us individual questions with a group of people. <laughs> So that was really strange. It took me off my guard a little bit, but at the end of the day, I did what I had to do. After I left, I was done, just like that. So I brought myself some water from Starbucks and headed back to the bus stop. A few minutes later, the bus pulls up and I'm off. So I'm sitting on the bus waiting, pretty idle. I have my earphones in, so I'm kind of in that like moment when you're listening to music and you feel like you're in a movie. And then maybe 10 minutes pass by and I look outside and you know, I don't really recognize the street we're on. I make this face like, mm, what's going on? And take one earbud out. Is that, was that the, no, okay. I keep looking around and honestly, I'm lost as all hell. 
I lean over to a man sitting two seats away from me and ask, so like, hey, do you know where we are? Is this the 74, right? No, no. This is the 55 to Rockville. What? Huh? Excuse me, to where? To Rockville? Okay. No, this is the 74. I'll just ask the bus driver. So I get up and lean over to the bus driver, because obviously that man was on drugs. Excuse me, ma'am, is this the 74, right? N no, this is the 55. Mm, okay, thank you. <laughs> oh, shit. So, fun fact, I did not look at the bus number when I was getting on the bus. Panic ensues. I am on a bus to Rockville, which is a completely different side of town. It's still good, but like just a different side of town. And I'm far, and I'm screwed. I give the bus driver a quick rundown of the bullshit I just put myself through. And luckily, whatever Southernism that's left from when Maryland was a part of the Confederacy translated into Southern kindness. And she told me where I could get off and take another 55 back to the transit center. I thanked her, and I got off the bus, crossed the street, and sat. After 45 minutes, you know, just kill myself in the heat, still reading because I'm so studious, I'm 16, have goals. <laughs> the 55, and I actually read the bus label, says like the 55 to the transit center, shows up and I'm headed back home, I'm happy. I got on the bus with just enough to make it back. I relax, breathe, and finally, I'm at the transit center. But guess what? I'm actually an idiot. You know how I'm like all studious and shit? Do you guys remember that book? I'm sure you do, because I did not. That's right, I left it. Where? Well, while I was doing my whole reading thing, I left it on the bus seat. Now you're probably wondering, why be so bothered? It's just a book. Well, it's a book that I had specially loaned from my high school librarian over the summer. She and her, me and her, we were tight. And you know, she did me a solid. I wasn't supposed to have it. I needed that book back. I had to get it back. I couldn't believe what I had done at this point. Like, who does that? Who gets on a bus and forgets all their stuff and gets on the wrong bus? I didn't move from my spot, but I'm just gonna, I decide I'm just gonna wait it out for the next bus and head back to the other stop. But let's do a quick recap. I got on a bus, I got off a bus, on the wrong bus, off the bus, and on a bus that took me home, and I'm, at the I'm waiting for the same bus that was wrong in the first time. That's three bus trips and a lot of confusion. Now, do you guys remember how much it costs for one bus trip? 170. So, how much did I put in my card? $5. Right. And I had already spent 410. Is that enough to get back? No. <laughs> right. Right. That's me right then. It doesn't take me long to realize I do not have enough to make the two trips to and from. I don't have enough money with me, and also this is before the pre-digital age, so there's no Uber, there's no Snapchat, I can't like automatically download money on my phone, I don't even have a smartphone. So what do you do when you're stranded at a bus stop, and I'm sure someone has come up to you and asked, like, hey, you got a dollar? That's me at that moment. I had to beg people getting off the bus for money so I could get back on the bus. But you know, I kind of just framed it as like character building. You know, I'm just developing myself as a human being. Um, so you know, character building, gotta love it. Finally, after some pretty embarrassing ask and a lot of no's, I get enough to get back on the bus. I get on the bus, get to the stop, find my book, wait again for another bus, and triple double check like, oh, everything on my person before I leave. 
finally, after about five hours of just bus rides and waiting, I'm finally home after a Chipotle interview. I walk back home, starved, tired, and irritated, but with a grand new ability in schmoozing the hell out of people. But <laughs> story doesn't end. I didn't get the job. I don't know what you guys were expecting with like it was a like a bad like a sad ending like it's called shit happens like <laughs> it's gonna happen but another round of applause for Elmo thank you our next storyteller is Veronica Niamba um, the name of her story is on a highway to hell on a highway to fire emojis I'm not entirely sure but we will find out. There are some things in life that we believe wholeheartedly, diamond absolutes, like the world being round rather than flat, UNC sucking at basketball, simple facts. There are other things that could be wrong, but we still believe in them for whatever reason, like the fact that Duke wants us to succeed or the fact that I'm gonna pass my economics class. <laughs> then come things that are probably not true, but hey, we live in a society and you know what? Though I stopped believing in him 10 years ago, Santa might be real. About two weeks ago, my lack, of, my lack of belief in something faltered after inexperience. That thing, karma. Karma might very much be real. It was Thanksgiving break. My friend Jenny and I had planned earlier in the semester they were going to take a bus to New York because flying back home to the West Coast, Best Coast was too much money and too much of a hassle. We got an Uber to the bus station, which was the parking lot of a BP gas station got out and were welcomed to buses that all said they were full and had no room for us despite having bought tickets. For us, it was fine though. Our bus wasn't scheduled to leave until 9.30 and it was like 9.10 or so at this point, but we had been up all day. We were tired, it was cold, it was dark, and for two smallish girls, it was kinda scary. For the two ladies next to us though, well, we'd overheard them complaining and rightfully so because they had been waiting since around 6 or 6.30 tragic. At that moment, God heard these two women's complaints and two buses rolled up, one on the left and one on the right. They pick the one on the left and we sit on the right. The bus driver walks out and says four seats. There are only four seats left on this bus. And with the two ladies talking to the other bus driver, there are four of us, me, my friend Jenny, and two random dudes. The two guys get on the bus and then I rapidly show the bus driver our tickets and my friend and I have secured a seat. We're on and we're ready for New York. We're rejoicing until we look out the window and see the two ladies. And oh, do they look pissed. Our bus driver is telling them how there are no more spots left on our bus and closes the doors. We've been waiting here since 6 p.m. and we can't get on the bus. Then the saddest moment, they look into the bus and in the front seat, they make eye contact with the two Duke girls who arrived probably only 30 minutes earlier and were going to be on their way to New York. Before I continue, I know, oh my gosh, y'all, we sound really shitty, but we didn't know that the other bus was going to be full, and well, we were already on, and we had purchased our tickets for that time. My friend and I give each other a look, settle into our seats, and we're on our way to New York. In New York, it was fine, it was great, we had a great time, and then come Sunday at eight, it was time for us to get on a bus back to Durham, because school or whatever. We get to the bus station, down the side of a busy street, put our bags under and board. 
We got there kind of late, so we weren't able to get seats right next to each other. I was a row ahead of Jenny, my friend, and we were both sitting on the outside seats, a man, random man sitting on the inside of the seat. So the bus goes off, and our primary goal was to get sleep because we had classes in the morning and we weren't expected to get back in Durham until five in the morning. Men, 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 men. <laughs> 15 minutes in and the man spreading begins. Me, being a smallish girl, I don't need that much space, but you know, it would have been great to have like my entire seat on this bus ride, but no, not in this bus. I had between half and two thirds my available seat by the time this man found enough room to make himself as comfortable as possible on this bus. Whatever, if I fall asleep, I won't even notice it. I close my eyes. You know when you close your eyes and you can tell that there are bright lights even though like your eyes are closed? Well, I saw red behind my eyelids. I opened my eyes to find that the man next to me was either trying to get in contact with a starship a nearby ferry, or act as a signal flare, because there is no reason his phone brightness should have been this high on such a dark bus. Whatever, things can't always be perfect. But then he makes it even less perfect because he pulls out his earbuds, doesn't plug them into his phone, <laughs> and then starts watching some odd show on his phone with his earbuds in his hand. <laughs> Sir, I'm not confrontational, so I didn't say anything. Just gave a couple side eyes that he most likely didn't pick up on. It's whatever. I'm tired, so I close my eyes again, and I'm on the verge of falling asleep when I get a tug on my arm. Veronica, this bag just fell on my head. Feel how heavy it is. And oh, was it heavy. A 30-pound bag fell on my friend Jenny's head. I, being the great friend I am, asked if she was okay, and then laughed along. Then there was the heat. We hadn't noticed it earlier, but my God, was it hot. And I'm from Vegas. The one day I didn't wear a shirt under my sweater was the one day I was going to be cooked alive. Despite all of the obstacles in the way of my sleep, I once again closed my eyes and I'm close to sleep until Monopoly fell on my head. You know, like the board game? Yeah, on my head. <laughs> I looked back at Jenny and we're both thinking of all the wild stuff that's happened so far. Is this for the ladies we played back in Durham? No, 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 karma isn't real, dummy. Yeah, totally. And then it happened, woo, the smell. It was shit, because a large portion of the bus unanimously agreed that they couldn't hold their bowel movements until the rest stop. I was gagging, Jenny was gagging, it was bad. A rest stop about 40 minutes later relieved us of the odor when they emptied the septic tank um, of the bus. And then that was also a great time for us to debrief on all the shit that had already like gone down. <laughs> and at this point, it's three in the morning. I've had like 25 minutes of sleep. We've been on this bus for like five hours or whatever. And then um, the only thing is when we were debriefing, we couldn't really hear each other because someone was having the best sleep of their life. We never got to see the face of our collective suffering, but their snores were enough for us to remember them for a lifetime. one point, a man in the bus got up, went to the back, yelled at this man saying, yo man, you're killing us all back here. You sound like two cars with three engines. You're really killing us. And the only thing homie did was twitch a little bit, mumble, and then go back to.
know when something is so absurd, <laughs> all you can do is laugh? Yep, that was us. We had class in a couple hours, had no sleep, were probably not going to get it, so we laughed. The rest stop was over, and we had about two more hours to Durham. We could make it. Everyone was quiet except the sleeping enemy, until a cursed sound hit my eardrums. Y'all probably know Celine Dion's song, My Heart Will Go On, but do you know this version? Why do I ask you all? Because someone was playing the shitty recorder version of the song on a speaker on this bus at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> this was the cherry on top. This is what made me a believer. <laughs> this bus did not exist within the confines of reality. It was punishment. It was all some kind of karma for our transgressions against two ladies who had also been trying to go to New York. <laughs> After an hour and a half of tracking our journey on Google Maps to see how close we were to the BP parking lot, we made it. We bolted off the bus and didn't look back. We ended up flossing to keep ourselves awake as we awaited Dwight, our Uber driver who would bring us back to reality, to Duke, to a bed to life. <laughs> Thank you, Veronica. One more round of applause for that. And I think a, a big thanks to whoever made that song. All right, guys. All right, next storyteller is Rachel Rubin, uh, checking off another thing off of her Duke bucket list doing this performance. Um, and her story is your happy self. Okay, uh, so just with me, picture yourself in middle school. Humor me, please. If you are anything like me, middle school was like spectacularly shitty. Um, <laughs> It's something kind of like college where there's like this like deafening and crushing self-doubt and insecurity, except everyone is meaner and everyone has more pimples. Um, middle school also for me was considerably more shitty because I was living unknowingly, unbeknownst to me, with a chronic disorder. So 13 is not like a peak of self-awareness. And so at this ripe age when I was starting to like demonstrate these symptoms, I had no way to effectively communicate this to people. I remember being so tired from the walk from math to science that I would just lay my head on the desk through the entire period and just try and rest up for the next walk. I was tired all the time. I had always been pretty thin, and so my slight frame didn't cause any concern until the school nurse called me in and started having conversations about eating disorders. I remember being picked up from school one day when I wasn't feeling well, and in the car ride back trying to down some Gatorade, and by the time I got home, I was throwing up whatever I put in my stomach, dry heaping into the sink. I remember feeling spectacularly unwell after every single meal I'd had. I remember being overwhelmed by the physical symptoms, but the mental toll of this time is hard to even describe. I just really remember, like, you just staying in bed in your room all the time. Because, like, I didn't really know what was going on. All I knew was that you were sick and you weren't getting better. 
And I think I saw you like two times during that time. It was just you going back and forth from the bathroom. And like, that's the only time I saw you. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you were just in your room asleep. And yeah, like you didn't really talk to, to like you didn't really talk to me like when you saw me. You just like looked like sad and mopey as you were going back to your room. And at this time in your life, you um, you started to become for the first time your confidence started to slip. For the first time, you didn't trust your friends. You became, um, you know, you'd get short of breath walking to and from classes. I remember you talking about carrying your books being a burden. And, um, you know, I remember you getting taller and thinner and taller and thinner, and I wasn't concerned about your size because I was always a super, super skinny child. And, you know, your brother was very thin and he was a couple years younger, but it seemed like a perfectly natural body type. And you had always been so comfortable and so healthy that I had, it didn't set off any alarm bells for me until you started to become, um, less confident and less self-assured and not, um, not sure about your friends. You know, if kids were talking and were quiet when you walked up, suddenly you were worried that they were talking about you or that they were saying things about you that they didn't want you to hear. That's my brother and my mother, respectively. Um, and it's reassuring in hindsight to know that my family members kind of did have an idea that something was going on, but we didn't talk about that at all. And if I couldn't trust my family or my friends, even more salient was this growing feeling that I couldn't trust my own experience. I started to feel like I was complaining or exaggerating, like I was seeking attention, like I was just a child who was not tough enough to deal with her own life. Nobody missed an opportunity to tell me that like, this is the time in your life where you're gonna have these changes in your body and everybody's going through puberty, but I couldn't disentangle coming of age from becoming sick. And that left me in a place where I didn't have a lot of optimism for the future. Suddenly, I had this distinct desire to disappear, to cease to be a burden to those around me. Thoughts of suicide followed me everywhere, in the classroom, in the bedroom, into doctor's offices. And seeking medical help for this large group of symptoms was no small task. And it wasn't until my second trip to the hospital that the severity of my condition became readily apparent. We were sitting in the emergency room waiting to do lab work. And I, I kept going outside and calling the doctor and saying, really, are you sure we have to be here? Because she feels like crap and they're not seeing us. And I want to take her home and take her to bed. And this is just lab work. Can't we do it tomorrow? And she said, no, you stay there until they get that work done. She's feeling poorly because of whatever's going on with her. And you need to get that test. And so I said, okay, I will, and you felt horrible, and they wouldn't give you a room, wouldn't give you somewhere to lay down, and then you walked, tried to go to the restroom, or tried to go, to, yeah, to the restroom, and collapsed, and I caught you, and I turned to them, and I said, can we get a bed now? And they immediately brought out a cot and did triage on you and put you in the hallway. You didn't have a room, but you had a little square in the hallway, and uh, you basically, but at least you were laying down. Side note, if anyone's trapped in a hospital emergency room, faint. Every time, you will get medical care immediately. Super effective. Um, But it was in this hospital room that I was finally ushered into that I was finally diagnosed with Addison's disease or adrenal insufficiency. 
it's an autoimmune disorder that affects your adrenal glands. Um, and so it limits or actually ends your body's ability to produce cortisol or adrenaline. That might be surprising to anybody who knows me that that's not a thing that my body can produce at all. But as the doctor was kind of talking about um, the symptoms of this disease and was kind of defining to me what this was going to be, everything was falling into place. The chronic fatigue, the muscle weakness, the nausea, the inability to digest food, the low blood pressure, the depression. I was told this illness is basically an inability of the body to cope with stress, whether physical, like injury, or emotional. My, my body couldn't and can't produce adrenaline in times of crisis. And this illness has and is, or was and is, very difficult to describe, but it had a name, and it had a treatment. Then they came in and gave you a shot of, shot of cortisol, and by this time it's like 8 in the morning, we've been there all night, and they give you one shot, and you sat up in bed, and you said, oh, I feel great, I'm hungry, let's go get pancakes. And you're like, we're going to go to see, we're going to go see Dr. Kim in a couple hours, right? Okay, great, Kim, we have time to go to Iowa. I mean, you, you had not been that awake and alive and excited and um, enthusiastic in probably a year. Once you started taking meds, you went from being a sickly person to always being in your room to, like, your normal self. Mm -hmm. Just, like, you went back to being, like, Mrs. Social everything and like you like started talking to all your friends again and like everything just kind of went back to normal like you just weren't like fed uh was what's the term bed stricken bedridden mm -hmm. yeah that you weren't bed whatever you weren't <laughs> stuck in your room and so like yeah like you just returned to like your normal like happy self this diagnosis gave me language to describe this feeling of being out of place in your own body with no control over my thoughts or my energy levels or my brain power. I felt validated, and while I felt frustrated that it had taken so long, for the first time in months, I allowed myself to feel hopeful. I've since learned exactly how lucky I am. On average, it takes five years and five doctors for autoimmune patients to get a proper diagnosis. 75% of autoimmune patients, by the way, are women. Symptoms like moodiness or nausea or weight loss are often misattributed to things like anxiety or depression or eating disorders. I had access to good health care and good health insurance, not to mention whiteness and affluence. And without these things, who knows how long I would have waited for a diagnosis or how much damage would have been done to my body in the meantime. Among autoimmune disorders and like the wide range of chronic illnesses broadly, mine is laughably treatable. I take oral medication every 12 hours, I get blood drawn every three months, I have a checkup every six months, and then I have special rules to follow for increasing my dosage in an emergency situation. But that is not to say that this has been easy. Uh, this diagnosis really introduced me to myself. I am Rachel. I am a control freak who has absolutely no control over how much she is able to produce or focus or achieve on any given day. During my time at Duke, I've been in enough physical pain to vomit from stress. I've broken bones and lost loved ones only to have to scramble to make sure that I have an adequate amount of medication to get me through the added stress to prevent myself from going into shock. I've had to inject myself with emergency corticosteroids into my thigh in a Giles dorm room. I've had panic attacks that take me out of commission for 12 hours or more, and I've never gone through a semester of classes or a summer placement without having to give my entire medical history to my professors or to my supervisors. I can feel this physiological response to any amount of added stress I put myself through. Like I can acutely feel 
lack of sleep or water or food. So I control what I can. And I try to be a good advocate for myself, but after seven years, I still don't know what I should be able to push through and what is actually my physical limit. If life is, as the adage says, 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it, but you have a disorder that directly constrains your ability to respond to life, does that make you less strong, less human, less you? There's still a lot I don't know, and the uncertainty has really high stakes. Choosing Duke was not completely unrelated to there being a hospital within walking distance of my dorm. Choosing not to go abroad or not to apply to Duke Engage programs wasn't completely unrelated to me needing almost a dozen pills a day and not wanting to be a burden to the group I was traveling with. It's a very rare disorder. The only person I've ever known to have had it is JFK. Um, and while Homeboy didn't exactly pick a stress-free life, um, he is not an important data point for like how this disease will affect my quality of life or my life expectancy. Um, there's never been any longitudinal studies of Addison's patients. And so this lack of uncertainty kind of about my trajectory has led to some interesting actions on my part. So I've never asked any of my endocrinologists out front important questions like, how long will I live? Can I bear a human child? Those types of things that like one might ask. Alternatively, I have had Google alerts <laughs> for the last four years with Addison's disease or adrenal insufficiency, just in case anyone decides to study this. So far, all that's turned up is the occasional eulogy and lots and lots and lots of articles from white women writing about their dogs. Yes, canine Addison's disease is very common. So I have met three dogs and zero people that have this illness. When thinking about my future, I have to be realistic. But about simple things, right? I have to have access to specialty care, I have to be in close proximity to a hospital, and I have to have consistent health insurance. But I also have to be realistic about not so simple parts of my future. Like the fact that I might be emotionally engaged in work I'm not physically constituted for. That I might be drawn to professional paths or ways of being in the world that I'm just not necessarily prepared for or would make my life unnecessarily difficult. I may very well be physiologically inequipped for work that I find meaningful or important. And I have absolutely no vocabulary for speaking about this at Duke. Honestly, it's really difficult for me not to take personally when I see peers abuse their bodies when I can treat mine with perfect care and respect and still feel lost inside of it. It's painful to hear friends talk about their 50-year plans that will mark an important and worthy and uncommon life when I'd be lucky to plan five years at a time. Discussion of making the most do of your Duke experience quickly translates to getting a return on investment of your time spent at Duke. And I honestly don't know if the investment my family made on me will be justified in the end. And I haven't figured out how to talk about this without inspiring supremely unhelpful pity. Usually it's just a monologue that ends in silence. Oddly enough, shit happens has kind of become a personal mantra of mine. I've found a sort of peace in my dearth of information and lack of control. I've found solace in the quiet understanding and dark, dark humor of friends who struggle with their own illnesses. I know I sound nihilistic. That's also part of me. But I'm profoundly grateful, and I hope you hear that. My mortality is very obvious to me, and I already feel that I'm here on borrowed time. So I can't help but feel lucky every time I'm able to exercise, every time I'm able to get out of bed, every time I'm able to stave off mental fatigue enough to be fully present with people I love. If I can't be physically capable of showing up as that happy self, even three out of 10 times, 
those are big things to me. That's enough. Thank you, Rachel, for coming up here and sharing your story with us. Can we give another round of applause? And for our last story of the night, we have here at Duke's own Jennifer Young. Uh, it's story titled, Two Wheels, One Skull. Hi, I hope we've been having a good time tonight here, right? I actually have a story to tell. I'll stop stalling. So my old neighborhood was a trailer park. Coming to Duke was actually the first time I've lived anywhere else. There weren't many kids there, and there wasn't really much to do. There were five rows of asphalt dividing the rows of RVs. For a few months of the year, there would be a family with three kids that lived in the neighborhood because they would move between Arizona and California due to the farming seasons. I was the oldest kid in the neighborhood, and the oldest girl in this family was about three years younger than me. So there was a gap in the things we all enjoyed, especially since my sister, one of the youngest, is five years younger than me. But one thing we could all agree upon was competition. We were in the middle of a bike race. It was nothing crazy, especially since the dirt lot full of hills due to an unfinished construction project had finally been filled in, leaving a boring, plain, flat dirt. So all we had left were the streets. It was an uncomplicated route, just a quick circle around the block. The sidewalk that went across the road was our starting and finish line. Now, I'm not the most athletic person. I've never claimed that. But I was definitely the fastest on those bikes. So I'm zooming ahead, having the time of my life. On the turns, I stop pedaling to slow down and stand on the pedals, because that's literally the coolest thing in the world. The wind whips through your hair and you feel like you're flying. And the wind whips through your hair because none of us are smart enough to wear helmets. We're too wrapped up in the invincibility of our youth or something. So I'm on the last stretch of the race. And I can see the finish line nearing up on my left so that I have, that I have to turn on to. And I'm going a bit too fast to make a turn like that. And there's not enough time to ride out my speed by not pedaling like I explained earlier. Plus, one of the girls is gaining behind me, and she's getting close. So I do what I hadn't done with the whole race. I push back on my pedals to break so I can safely make my turn. Do you ever have those moments where everything seems to stop around you? It's like the opposite of taking an exam where you didn't study enough. That's like when everything is moving five seconds too fast. No. This is the kind of moment where you've made the kind of mistake that the whole universe wants to grab the remote and pause the show so they can go refill their popcorn and grab a can of Sprite to see how everything is about to go down. I was in that moment because as I push back at the pedals, they move back with my feet instead of giving me the resistance I'm used to. I realized that my brakes just weren't working. Now this turn was kind of sharp Definitely too sharp to make it the speed I was going. So instead of turning directly into the finish line, I angle myself toward it, curving my bike and aiming to run into the rocks on the side of the road after I cross the finish line. The most important thing to take from this story is that I definitely won the race. <laughs> I crossed first, and that makes everything I'm going to say after this absolutely worth it. 
As I'm approaching my final destination, the girl that had been behind me the whole race actually makes the sharp turn. How do I know this? Because her angle of approach intersected with mine. While it's fine for lines to intersect in math, it was not fine for me. Her front wheel crashed into my back one. After that, I came to in my house. Her wheel crashing with mine is the last thing I remember. Okay. Empieza, empieza. So I was in a bike race, you remember, right? For, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And I won. Finally, finally, you decided to go out and get some air because you, like usual, you were like a vampire inside. But I won. Do you remember how I won? Mm Do you remember that I won the race? Which race? It wasn't a race. Yes, it was. Well, I don't know if people that fell off the bike win the race. Well, I had already crossed the finish line when that happened. Well, I don't know. We just hear the loud crash, and here you are on the floor. So your dad is like, what happened? What happened? And and the other kids were, were really scary. It was an accident. It was an accident. They were. They saw your dad's face. I get. They were scared that your dad was gonna kill them. You were on the floor. Your dad is running. I am. I am running there, and I. Um, I see that you're there in the in the in the floor. But you were. You were not. Um. Como se dice? You were like. Uh. uh not in this majesty. I didn't faint. No, you didn't faint. Because you were crying there. It was so fast. You were crying there, and I. I picked you up and made you walk to the house. I came to in my house screaming my head off. I'm not sure if I had been screaming and crying like before I woke up or if that was a consequence of me waking up. Either way, it was ugly enough for my parents to chase everyone out of the house. Um, My sister was allowed to stay, but just barely. And Julie stayed there crying, Mom, is she okay? Um, and, uh, yes, she's okay, but you're done. Let's take her to the hospital. She's going to have a concussion. She's going to have a concussion. She's going to, it's going to be bad. Let's take her to the hospital. I'm like, get out of here. Let me see what happens. So I had to tell your dad to leave the room because you didn't you were like, again, ah, ah, what happened? You're, what happened? You're making me but sound like that, a monster. You were mad. Oh. You're recording me in my in my worst moment of storytelling. What do you mean? Why am I recording did you, you? Did you hear the? Ah, ah, yeah. You said, uh, but you were making you were making that sound for me. I was the one more hurt by that. <laughs> well, didn't you sound like that, Julie, when when Jenny fell off the bike? Yeah, Julie is a witness here. The most thing I remember is that you were really mad because you fell. It's like. Why? Jennifer Young fell off a bike? Really? Are you kidding me? Like the wall is against me or something. You were really mad. You were mad because you didn't know what happened. How did I get here? And I'm like, please, Jenny, calm down. Let let me see what happened. Let me see. Because your legs were all, all crushed. Your legs, your your knees, and one of your arms had scratches too, and, and something in your face had scratches. Apparently, the crash was pretty bad. You had little rocks on your, on your forehead. <laughs> you almost had half of the pavement on your forehead. <laughs> That's funny to you? Huh? That's funny to you? That I had half the road on my forehead? I mean, it was just, right now 
went inside. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was pretty scary because you didn't. You couldn't remember. Uh, how, and and and, the, the, and you kept asking, "How did I get here? How did I get here?" I'm like, "I brought you, Jenny. Don't you remember?" No. How did? Who brought me here to the house? I was outside playing. After about 30 minutes of my frenzied state, my mom and dad were able to calm me down enough to where I could think. It was mostly my mom. Someone brought up the idea that I could possibly have had a concussion. We didn't let you sleep because apparently they said you, you cannot let someone who, who had a, a big kid on the, on the head uh, sleep. So I know what you're thinking. When did I go to the doctor? And why exactly were you going to go to school after a concussion like that? I know I haven't said that I went to school the next, day, the next week, but I did. Well, frankly, doctors are a bit expensive. And Duke is the first time I've had health insurance, so. And after I had put my family $1,000 in the hole for getting a toothpick removed from my toe the year before, they weren't about to chance how much a concussion in the ER was going to cost us. I'd get better on my own. Secondly, I'm a stickler for attendance. I think it's because of my mom's strictness and because of my paranoia of missing absolutely anything. Uh, the last time I can even remember missing school was in, I was in first grade and I was so sick that I had to stay back for a whole week. And when I came back, the kids at my school had stolen my marble collection that I had left in my desk. So I had perfect attendance all the way through high school. <laughs> Plus, this Monday was the last week of school. All my classes were having their final exams, and there was no way that my mom would let me miss those. And the little straight-A student living in my friend's whole lobe, I'm sure all, like, we're all Duke students here, it wasn't going to have that either. So to class I went. But I asked my mom for a favor. She's a professional seamstress and a designer, and so she knows her way around fabric. I asked her to make me an eye patch because I had a black eye so bad that my right eye was like completely swollen shut. And since it's the last week of class, there would be lots of cameras going off. Better to look like a pirate than someone who saw the rougher end of a fist fight, right? What I remember from this week was a lot of people were asking me about the eye patch. And not about the giant scrapes on my arms and legs because I was smart enough to wear long sleeve and jeans, even if it hurt. I actually still have a piece of the asphalt in my knee. My head hurt like hell taking my history exam, but otherwise I flew through the week telling people I was committing to becoming a pirate since I had stolen a boat that weekend, like a liar. <laughs> but those selfies of me in a dumb eye patch will never leave the Instagrams they were posted on. Taking the exams themselves was one of the most difficult things I've had to do. I had the most dizzying headache and I could only write with one eye open since the other was swollen shut. So I'm sitting there in AP world history writing about like the beginnings of Mesopotamia, like something, something, AD, something, something, spice trade, question mark, question mark. And, and it was fine. <laughs> I got into Duke, so it was all fine. <laughs> I actually used to get migraines as a kid, and I still do. I don't know if this was a result of the accident, and I actually don't know anything about the accident or what it did to me. Some research suggests that traumatic brain injuries can lead to mood disorders later or whatever, like depression. Is this, the bike, is this bike race the reason I take antidepressants now? Possibly. But I haven't seen a doctor, so who's to say? 
It's not like I even remember the race itself, so who's to say I, who's to say I even crashed? And as for what caused the crash, I was curious to find out. So I asked an expert. I asked an expert. Huffy Bikes Customer Service. We appreciate your call, and thank you for holding. Your call is very important to us. <laughs> thank you for calling customer service. I'm going to help you. Hi. Um, my name is Jennifer Young. I had a, um, a few, like, quick questions. Okay, yeah, I could definitely help you out with that. Okay, so I owned, like, a Huffy bike, like, five years ago, and I was in the middle of a bike race, and, like, the brake broke. Like, I don't know what happened, but, like, the brake wasn't working. Do you know, like, what could have caused that? It could be, um, was it the rear or the front brake? Um, it was only a pedal brake. Okay, so it's a single speed. It doesn't have, it's not a multi-speed uh, bike. Yeah, it was a single speed. So the only thing that I could think about, uh that could cause it from not braking would be the rear wheel um, hub. And that hub is like sort of the brake mechanism inside the, uh, the, the internal of that rear wheel. All the mechanics for the braking system are in are internal of the rear wheel. So you might need to replace the rear wheel. Okay, yeah, thanks. I, I was just always wondering like what could have caused that. Thanks for answering my uh, question. Uh, you're welcome. Okay. Is there anything else I could do for you today? I guess like... Let me think. So, like, I fell off the bike, and I hit my head on the pavement, and I can't remember, like, what happened after that. Do you think I got a concussion? Uh, well, for me, I can't, I can't really say, but it sounds like you, you did. Now, I actually didn't ride a bike for the rest of my high school career. What happened to that bike exactly? And then, and the Julie comes running, Mommy! didn't get another bike until I was about to leave for Duke. My dad got it because he thought I would ride it to class and the likes. I don't. I skateboard instead. I actually wiped out under the Blackwell Arch last year and reopened the wound on my arm from the crash. I didn't even learn my lesson. I still wasn't wearing a helmet. So these days, I tend to stick to the C1. Right, that's it. Thank you guys for coming. I want to first give a huge round of applause for our five performers. Can you guys all stand up, actually? <laughs> it's, it's really not easy like getting up here and sharing your stories to a bunch of strangers, so thank you for sharing your stories with us tonight. Um, I also want to highlight Jenny. Can you come up here, please? 
so like I mentioned, Jenny is a part of the Hero Duke team. She's one of our producers. Um, but she was really the lead organizer for this event. So she worked her ass off for like the past month, um, getting all these stories, working with all the performers, working on her own story, um, setting this all up. So I really want you guys to give a round of applause to her because this wouldn't have happened without her. And finally, thank you for you guys for showing up. Um, we put a lot of work into this and we're really happy with the turnout. Um, we're still a pretty young organization, so it's really it's really great to like see that people here actually want to hear these stories, and we'll continue to do this. Uh, watch out for us to do this next semester as well. We're not sure what a theme. If you guys have any ideas, come up and tell us, but um, watch out for that. Also, take a look at our website, uh, www.hereatduke.org, as well as our Instagram, Here at Duke. Uh, and then we're trying to get a Twitter up soon. <laughs> so you can start to follow us on Twitter, even though we haven't posted anything there yet. Yeah. Uh, and then Facebook, Here at Duke. And check out our iTunes SoundCloud feed. This episode will be up shortly. And our last episode is up, too. It's about research at Duke, which sounds really boring, but we talk about dead birds, so it's pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for coming. Have a great night. Have a great rest of your semester. Thank you.